we have finished the book of First Peter. So what do we do now if we want a smooth transition? Well, let's go to Second Peter. We're going to start in Second Peter. I was wanting to teach Second Peter before I had a thought of First Peter, but this is how it ended up. So we are going to be in the beginning of Second Peter. Pastor Stone may be back next week. Uh, I don't know how this will go over the next several weeks, but I'll teach it whether I'm up there. And if I come down here, I'll bring you up to speed and and we will get through this book where, wherever I'm at. And, and so as, speaking of a s- smooth transition, as we consider the author, we're talking about the same person. Peter is the author of Second Peter, just as Peter is the author of First Peter. There has been some debate as to the 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 inspiration of this book in the past it it came out to to what i believe is just nonsense it's it's pretty easy to detect peter's writings and you know there's something about it within a few verses here and there you you can teach the verse backward by every point in the verse or you can teach it forward it's uh there's something about the way god used this fisherman to write and it's a little different and it can be detected well not only do we have the same author, but we have the same audience. The same scattered saints are the ones being written to. It appears as though they are in a more calm season concerning persecution. The subject is not going to be suffering this time. The subject that we have uh, in this book is going to be false teaching and false doctrine. God is very passionate about his churches and the truth being taught in his churches. If you look in the book of Galatians, you will see some pretty bold, firm speaking from the Apostle Paul to the churches. And the reason why is because they were starting to entertain some false doctrines that were coming into the church. So this matter of the truth and false teachers that are out there and and false doctrines that are in this world, it's a very important subject. And, And God wants us to stand in His church and be a protection of the truth in his church. Well, we can also consider uh, when this was written. Um, we're looking at uh, approximately A.D. 61 through 68 for both books. And, and it's different for each one, but we're within seven years of each other. That doesn't mean that, that the first letter was written, then the second was written seven years later. It could have been three years later. But the approximate timing gives a window of eight years. So it's a pretty quick amount of time that this letter is written and a very good purpose with the warning of false teachers and false doctrines. It was good for them then. It's good for us today. We go from the enemy persecuting the church and pushing them away to the enemy polluting the church and trying to pull them in with their false beliefs. You know, churches have always had controversy with this then and today. You know, back then they dealt with the legalism of the Jews. 
You know, even Jews that got saved, they were still, there were still some legalistic things trying to hang on that they wanted to incorporate into Christianity. And then there were the unsaved Jews that were always trying to infiltrate false teaching into the churches. But not only that, there was the unbelief of resurrection by the Sadducees. And the church at Corinth, they even had a time where some of the members seemed to be dropping off the true doctrine of resurrection. They believed in death burial, but they, but they left out resurrection and were falling away from that truth. And, and God used Paul to correct them of that. And then in the book of Colossians, you have what we would call mysticism, where, where people were trying to add things as in, okay, you can have Jesus, but you need the worshiping of angels too. You need Jesus plus something else. That's fine. You have Jesus, but there's a little something you're missing. And, and there's a, there's a, a denomination or two or three of Christianity today, or they call themselves a, a denomination of Christianity that would say we're missing something. Somebody told me soon after I was saved, I, I gave my testimony and man, I was sweating when I finished. I was so excited about coming to Christ. And somebody said, well, that's a good start. And I left going down the road going a start. What else do I need? Well, they thought I needed something else besides Jesus. And, and it's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. So there's a lot of false teaching that we need to beware of. The church, the, the saints that are written to here uh, have the same issue. What is our answer? What is our help? What is our solution concerning false teaching? The answer is knowledge, to have the knowledge of God. Peter is passionate and he stresses throughout this book having the knowledge of God. Somebody told me that I ought to just consider everything that is being talked about. Don't isolate yourself to the Bible, but consider even what some atheists say because they make some really good points. And, and we don't need to do that. We, we, by the true doctrine, we can disprove and reject false doctrine. We don't need to, to divvy into what someone else believes. We'll know it's, we'll know when something's wrong because it'll oppose God's word. Somebody said, well, you ought to learn what someone else believes so you can unteach them out of that and into Christianity. And, and look, I'm not saying that that's, that's completely horrible. I've actually done that before, but, but I, I wouldn't say it's necessary. I wouldn't call it a criteria. We need to know the truth and stick to the truth. Our defense of, of false doctrine is knowing true doctrine. So with that, let's get started. We're going to look in the first four verses. In the beginning greetings of this letter, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There was a commercial on TV several years ago, and it was a woman standing at the, in the kitchen over the stove, and she had a pot, and, and she had Prego spaghetti sauce in that pot. And she's stirring it up like it's something homemade. The aroma must have went all through the house because next thing you know, her son's standing there and he's looking over this and he's smelling all these things. And he looks and he says, well, where are the mushrooms? She says, they're in there. He says, well, well, where is the sausage? She says, it's in there. Well, where are the tomatoes? It's in there. I mean, everything he could come up with that would be good for spaghetti sauce, it was in the pot. I mean, Prego had some kick to it, and Prego has, well, I say had, I guess they still make it. Uh, we don't buy, but I'm sure it's still out there. But, but it had, has a good taste to it, and it's pretty good stuff. You know, because of what's inside it. You know, everything that the boy asked about that was good, it was in there. And for the person that needs victory, victory is in Jesus. For the person that needs deliverance, it's in Him. You're going to find it in Him. For the person that needs a change, that change is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the person that needs strength, it's in Him. For the person that needs help, that help is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the person that needs a brand new life, that brand new life is found in Jesus. If you're looking, whatever you're looking for can be found in Him. We're going to start these first four verses tonight, and we're going to talk about the great gift of Jesus. He is, he is an amazing gift, and, and there are gifts that come from Him, and, and we need the knowledge of those gifts. The letter begins with, even though this is the opening greetings to the saints, it's uplifting our Messiah, our, the Savior of the world, who can meet every human being's need that, that every human being definitely has. It's an exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ by Peter. Jesus is the greatest gift anyone could ever have. And Peter believes that Jesus Christ is worthy of devotion. He's worthy of devotion. It's as if he couldn't wait to get this letter started. And, and the only thing he said before this title that he was desiring to, to put out there to these saints that he titled himself with, the only thing he put before that is his name. Simon Peter, a servant. He calls himself a servant to these saints. And that word servant is a really strong word. That word servant is the, the idea of a slave who is possessed by his master. Within calling yourself a servant, you're saying that you are owned. 
that, that you no longer belong to yourself, that you are possessed by another. You have been purchased. A servant exists for no other reason than what the master has a purpose for him for. And, and, and you might think of a servant as, as something of belittling to say, I'm a servant in a lot of ways. And maybe it's true, but not when it comes to being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest, highest, most honorable position that any person can have on this earth. To be a slave to the Lord Jesus. He is worthy of devoting our lives to. Peter found that out. Peter obviously came to a day where he realized that he had a great need and that need was to have his sins forgiven. And he looked to Jesus and Jesus loved him and Jesus saved him by buying him, by purchasing him with his precious blood. And Peter just can't get over it. Peter is became owned by Jesus. Jesus became Peter's master and Peter became Jesus's slave, his servant. The highest honor that a person could have. Peter no longer had any ambition of his own after that. Peter's ambition was to please his master and do what his master would have him to do. He devoted himself as a slave to Jesus for life, as a bond slave. Before the time of this writing, he had said once, I'm going back to fishing. He got in a moment of weakness, and when Peter was frustrated, the Lord had already called him. But he said, to heck with it, I'm going back to fishing. Well, Peter matured after that, and he grew in knowledge. Knowledge was a great help to him. And he became a rock, and he devoted himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is quickly glad to title himself a servant. He titles himself a servant before he gives the title of himself as an apostle. You know, we're, we're out of the apostolic age. It, Peter was the last apostle. I mean, uh, Paul was the last apostle. But in Peter's time, look, for Peter to be an apostle, he was called to be an apostle. No one, no one suggested in a group of Peter, Peter, you're a stand-up good guy, you ought to be an apostle. You ought to choose to be an apostle. No one... No one thought that Peter had such great ability that he was going to be an apostle. He didn't choose himself to do that. Somebody asked me one time, uh, they knew of some problems I had right about the time that I got saved and shortly after I was saved. And did they say, and they said, did you decide to become a preacher because of the problems that you were going through? And I said, if I decided to become a preacher, I'm not a preacher. The God calls a preacher and God called an apostle and God called Peter to be an apostle. It was the calling that God placed on his life. An apostle is someone sent to represent. He didn't send himself 
God sent Peter to be a representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was an ambassador for Christ and he was, he was well desirous of doing so because he thought that this great gift of the person of Jesus and all he gives us, he was worthy of devotion. He's worthy of our devotion. But not only that, we're going to continue in verse 1 and we're going to look at the wonder of believing. Now, as you look at everything that is said here in the way Peter writes, we have one main subject with a whole lot of things describing it around it. And that main subject is faith. The wonder of believing. We're going to look at this faith for just a moment. Faith is is a very special thing. It is by faith that we're made acceptable to God. If, if people could get over the, the devil's most popular lie that you have to be a good person to be acceptable to God. It's faith. It's faith alone in Christ alone in the Lord Jesus. Faith makes you acceptable to God. And nothing else is needed to be accepted by God. This wonderful faith. Faith ushers us into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And faith is something that everyone receives the same way. I'm talking about faith being received. Look what it says. It says, to them that have obtained. I'll stop on that word obtained because that word obtained looks like something is on our part in that. Obtained looks sounds like something we would do. But that word obtained, it simply means to receive. And not only means to receive, it means given a portion of. It means received. It means given. Everybody comes to faith the same way. We don't have faith to put in Jesus on our own. We're not born with this kind of faith. This is a spiritual attribute. Faith, it's not something natural. Oh, I wish I had the faith of so-and-so. Well, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but, but the, the faith's just not there. I don't have that kind of faith to believe that. Well, faith is not something we drum up within ourselves. I, I quote a lot of verses a lot, and I probably will for years, and one is Romans ten seventeen. Then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In order for a person to come to faith, they hear the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the Scriptures. They hear the gospel somewhere. The gospel is preached to someone. The gospel is witnessed. Someone told you about Jesus, and they told you from the Word of God if you were saved. Faith comes by the Word of God. We have the opportunity, or if you're saved, you had the opportunity to place faith in Jesus by what came to you from the Word of God to be able to do so. It's our decision to place faith in Jesus, but the opportunity comes by hearing the Word. Everyone receives faith the same way, and it comes by the Word of God. By the way, anyone can have faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't choose to give some faith to believe and others not. Everyone can get faith that, so that they can believe in Jesus. 
a lot of people really mess, try to mess up Peter's writings about a holy calling upon us and we have been called. Well, everyone has been called and we are the called, we are the elect, we are the chosen when we elect Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we trust in Him. And it's only by faith and everyone receives that the same way. And when someone comes to faith, everyone has the same thing. Uh, notice what it says here in verse 1. It says, to them that have obtained like precious faith. We don't need to make that any harder than what it is. Your faith is like yours. And your faith is like yours. And your faith is like yours. We all have the same faith, you understand. We have the same faith. We have the same belief. We are all equal in quality and value and in privilege to God. Peter's faith was not a more special faith than yours or mine. Peter came to the Lord Jesus as Savior by the same faith that you and I did. Peter is not more special to God than you or I. God is not prejudiced. He's not partial in any way. He's not a respecter of persons in any way whatsoever. And, and concerning this idea of faith, everyone has the same thing. And this faith comes through the same means. We are saved by grace through faith. And here we see that faith is through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith comes through righteousness. We hear the Word of God to receive faith, but if there were not righteousness, we couldn't, it would be a waste of time for you and I to have faith. We come to faith through Jesus Christ. Something Something to think about that you already know, maybe thinking about it in another way. It takes righteousness to get to heaven. It takes perfect righteousness for you and I to get to heaven. I'm going to make this statement and it's true. You have to be as good as God to get to heaven. Perfect, infallible Righteousness. That is something that you and I do not have on our own. Everyone out there, a neighbor of mine I'm thinking about right now that proclaims a righteousness, I believe everyone knows down deep they don't have a righteousness that's going to meet up to God. I believe, I believe the atheist out there believes in God. He just doesn't want Him. He, he has a hatred. He has a bitterness. And he knows that his righteousness does not measure up to God. But Jesus, but Jesus is perfect righteousness. He lived a completely righteous life as he walked this earth. It's an example for us. The Bible says that Jesus is our example. He's not only our example by his life. He extended His life for us. He not only died for us, you understand, but He lived for us. You know what had to be satisfied 
for God to be satisfied. That is the justice of God. The penalty of sin is death. That's why Jesus died for us. But the righteousness of God had to be satisfied. And Jesus' perfect life satisfied the righteousness of God. We are not only saved by His death on the cross, we're saved by His life. Romans 5.10 says... For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Jesus is pure righteousness, and that's what everyone needs to get to heaven. Everyone needs the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith is counted for righteousness. Everybody talks about Abraham's great works and he was a man of faith, but the Bible says his faith was counted for righteousness. And God swapped our sin for his righteousness when he saved us. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What do we sing? This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Praise God by His perfect life. He's given us righteousness that, ex that has us to be accepted by God. Faith came by the same means for all of us. It came through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If Jesus had sinned, there's so much skepticism, there's so much ridiculous talk out there about the possibility of Jesus sinning. Uh, I believe somebody has tried to say that because Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They say God forsook him because he sinned. And I probably shouldn't even say that it's such a foolish thing. But, but look, if Jesus didn't have a perfect life, and, and, and die a death that pleased God and be raised from the dead, we have no reason to meet here. There is no possibility for a saving faith, okay? But Jesus is perfect righteousness, and we have to be as good as God to get to heaven, and that's what Jesus gives us, the, the perfect goodness of God, to be a child of God. All of our faith is counted for the same thing, the righteousness of Christ. Well, let's look at, at the weight of knowing. I talked about an emphasis on knowledge that Peter is putting here. So in verse 2, let's look at the weight of knowing. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We see three things here. We see grace and we see peace. And we see something that, that wraps the two up. First of all, as we consider grace, everything that is given to you and I is gifted to us by God. Everything we have from Him is a gift. Therefore, what does that mean? That means we're undeserving. If He gifts it, we can't, there's no way to earn it. We're undeserving of what we receive from God. We can't demand anything from God. And without grace, we can't expect anything from God. 
God gifts you and I, and we can never say we earned it. We can never say we've earned anything from God. And then he mentions peace, a joining, a binding, a weaving together with God, a weaving together in a harmony with the people of God. The peace that God keeps us with, that is our security and confidence that God loves us and God cares for us. We know that God loves us because the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keeps our hearts and minds. Peace is something that we experience before we're saved. We are enemies of God. We make peace with God through trusting Jesus Christ. And then we walk in the peace of God. We experience His peace every day. We can't truthfully say, God doesn't care, or where are you, God? We, we that, that might be in a, a passing emotional thought, but for the one that is walking in the peace of God, we know. We know that He loves us, and we know that He cares. And how do we know this? Well, it starts, it starts with knowledge. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Savior. We know that God will provide, He will guide, He will sustain, He will encourage us, and we know that He has saved us. There's never a lack of the supply of grace and peace. It is inexhaustible. It is continual. It is overflowing. There is always enough. God is never going to run out of a supply of grace and peace. But what seems to be the problem then with some Christians? Because it doesn't seem like every Christian seems to be walking in an overflowing of the grace and the peace of God. It'll overflow and be given in abundance by knowledge. There's a supply, and to apply that supply to you and I, it comes by knowledge. It's supplied by knowledge. There was a man that saved up his pennies because he wanted to go on a cruise. He'd never been on a cruise before. He didn't know anything about him. He asked how much the cruise was. He saved his pennies and he went on a cruise and he had hardly any money left over when he got that ticket for that cruise. So before he left, he made him some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, he's thinking about breakfast and lunch and dinner and it's X amount of days on a cruise. So he was really packed up with the PB&J. And so he's enjoying the cruise and he goes to some of the fun, entertaining things that go on, has a nice room and, you know, they make him a little animal out of his bath towel or whatever. And, and he's enjoying some neat things about this cruise. But PB&J is starting to get old. And he sees people sitting down here and sitting down there and eating. He sees attendants going by the, by the rooms with this, with this cart. And man, this food smells so good and he can't take it anymore. He has a little bit of money and he shouldn't spend it, but he stops the attendant and he says, how much for a little meal? I would like to get a little meal. And you know, and I want to know how much that is. And the attendant looks at him like he's crazy 
He's, and so he, he explains himself, look, I spent almost... I spent almost all my money to get this ticket for the cruise. I just wanted to get on the cruise. I didn't have money for food, hardly. And I have my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But man, the food y'all are making, it sure smells good and it looks good. And so the guy looks at him and he says, the food is free. That ticket you got leads you, gives you access to all of the food that you want all the time. You just go get in line. There's not a cash register. You get your food and you enjoy it all week long. But the man was lacking knowledge. He was lacking knowledge of what he actually had. And I'm telling you, there's some PB&J Christians around right now. They have a whole lot more than what they're experiencing and they don't even know they have it because of a lack of knowledge. I'm telling you, Peter is passionate about the Christian and the amazing change in when we get knowledge of our Lord and the things of our Lord and the promises of our Lord and the precepts of our Lord and the things that He's going to do for you and I. He has a prime rib life for you and I with all He's given. He's the greatest gift. And, and everything that comes with Him as a gift, it's amazing. And we must have knowledge to get these things. We must walk and we must talk with Jesus. And we must listen to God when He's speaking. When you read His Word, God is speaking to you. And He's teaching you by way of the Holy Spirit. And many Christians are neglecting their intake of the Word of God and becoming knowledgeable about what they believe. You know, uh, someone of a different belief, a false belief, how dare they be able to out-talk someone of their belief in the truth and know more about their false belief than we do of the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't be a a PB&J Christian. We have a never-ending supply of the blessings of God and they are applied by knowledge. By knowledge. God can multiply you, to you His abundance by knowledge. Well, let's look at the welfare of the living in verse 3. Man, what a powerful verse. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You've probably heard the expression, He's really made a life for Himself. I know he started out bad and I know how you knew him, but he got himself together and he's made a life for himself. And I know what people mean by that. But God is the only one that makes a life. God is the only one that that gives life life. As we're speaking of life here, life has nothing to do with man's ability it has nothing to do with a lucky break. It has nothing to do with a man making life. It has nothing to do with a lot of things. God 
gives life. And, and God longs for a person to have life. Life by His definition of life. He wants everyone to have the life that He offers. He desires that for all. He longs for that for all. And if some Christians in this world would quit looking around all over the place for life and a person and things and money and whatever, and they would just look within, that's where life is. Because if you're saved, the Lord Jesus lives in you. And He's the giver of life. It's found by faith in Him. Someone said that that Welch's 100% grape juice will cure stomach cancer. But it doesn't. You know why though? I mean, maybe it doesn't, doesn't. But you know why we, we would say it doesn't? Nobody will try it. God is the giver of life. But a lot of people aren't trying it. The life that you and I want, the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the purpose in life we want, it is found within the believer. Life is Christ. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. He didn't say that when he was Saul. He didn't say that in his false religion. He didn't say that as he was taught the law of God without knowing the, the, the Lord of the law. But he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And Jesus saved him. And it's as if he's saying, I don't know about you, for to me, to live is Christ. As the old country boy commentary said, it's like Paul saying, I'm really living now. That's where you find life. We find life in Christ. God gives heavenly things for our life on earth now. Peace and joy and love, these are heavenly things. Faith, that's, that's a product of heaven. And God gives us that now for life. We might as well just throw away our bucket list because it doesn't compare to the Bible list. What does he say here? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. And how do we get that? I think I want that. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. How do we get that? Through the knowledge. What does it say? Through the knowledge of Him. Knowledge. That's two times. We're only into three verses. We've already had this word knowledge twice in the, in the opening greetings to these Christians. See, it's not only... Knowledge is not only going to be stressed through this book as a defense against false teaching. It is stressed that, that by knowledge, we're really going to live. We're really going to have life. We're really going to embrace the promises of God. God brings to remembrance His Word to you and I. But if we do not hide God's Word in our heart, how is He going to bring remembrance of all of His precious promises to you and I? It's going to be a PB&J atmosphere that we are in if we do not embrace the truth and the Word of God. Knowledge is a must for life. One big reason for the existence of a miserable Christian is a lack of knowledge of the Scriptures. One of my mentors said over and over, and I finally get it now. 
He, he loved to say things to make me think about it for months or years. And he said, he said, most Christians have just enough knowledge to make them miserable. And I get it now. I get it now. People know they're saved and they're going to heaven and they think everything's finished and, and, and your place and your citizenship is locked in. It is finished in heaven. But in another sense, we're only getting started. We are left here on this earth and we're only getting started and we're going nowhere without the intake and the knowledge of who has saved us and what we have been saved from and all we have been saved to and everything God will do for us. We will not be blessed by the promises that we've never studied or never quoted. He won't bring to remembrance those things that we don't yet know. He's given all things, though, that are necessary for life through knowledge. How do we how do we come into better life, more satisfied life, peace in life, more knowledge of the word, constant knowledge of the word, constant, constant revisiting the same word. The Bible's repetitive. We need the same things over and over and we need them every day. There's someone I'm witnessing to and they said that. They have read the Bible four or five times. And every time I bring up a verse, they say, I already read that. And they don't want to hear the Bible. They're, 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 they're not even PB&J, though, I'm afraid. They don't, have, they don't have anything. Well, the warmth of unending. What do I mean by that? Let's look in verse 4. We're closing. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises... That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'll never forget the first time I read that. And it dawned on me that God has given me a divine nature. Adam wasn't born with a sin nature, but Adam got a sin nature and he passed a sin nature onto everyone. Everyone has a sin nature, every human being. But the Christian has a divine nature. And let me tell you something. This earth is going to pass away. This old body is going to decay. But the divine nature that is given to you and I, it's a promise that it's going to last forever. It's going to live forever. We're going to be in heaven with a divine nature. We are here right now with a divine nature. There's a promise for you and I as we're getting started with more knowledge. Christians are a new creature. That's why I say a Christian is a new person. Because you have a nature you've never had before. And it's given from heaven. It's given by God. A divine nature given to you and I. A divine nature to know and to claim and experience the divine promises of God. That can't be done without a divine nature. But with a divine nature, we have these things. The world's going to be gone. Our bodies will be gone. But the divine nature is life unending. Jesus is the greatest gift. He gives us all of these things. You and I have something to be encouraged about. I said I believe that suffering is not the 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 prime thing here going on like it was before with them. But there is no doubt 
by a opening greeting like that, that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, that builds us up in knowledge of who he is and what he's given us. That's that's a great help, whether it be suffering. That's a great encouragement for you and I. Let us be thankful unto God and the greatest gift that he has given us in Jesus Christ and all he has given us by way of him. Well, praise the Lord for his word. I love it. Thankful for it. I hope you're encouraged by it tonight. And I'm going to ask Brock Bullard if he would close us in a word of prayer as the teenagers and I will head upstairs.